0: Well, today, your day in court is the theme. I've been in court one time. It was when I was a children's pastor in Arizona. Uh, We were taking kids up to a camp, and we had four vans that we loaded up with kids, about 50 kids, to head up to camp. And I decided I was going to drive the the van that had a broken speedometer. See, when you get, uh, you'll find this in churches where people often give their well-worn sofas, they're expired frozen turkeys, and they're broken down vehicles to the church. And so we had these four vans that every time we went out, one of them broke down. But this time, it was actually faulty from the get-go. So I says, I'm going to drive. We've got to have that van. We, it can carry 10 or 12 kids. I'm going to drive that van. I'll, I'll pull the trailer, so that'll help kind of keep me in check. So we went up to camp, went up to this place called Mountain Meadows, beautiful camp for kids, spent a week there. And then on Sunday morning, we were going to head down the mountain, meet parents at the church. So as they um, exited the third service, they could just come out and pick up their kids and go home. So we're heading down the mountain. I'm the guy in charge, so I'm leading the charge. Um, Of course, when you got a trailer behind you, you kind of go downhill a little faster than uphill. Uh, But I had no clue how fast I was going. I just knew that we're making a really good time. (laughs) And obviously, I'm pulling a trailer. This thing can't go that fast. What I didn't realize is this is before cell phones, the drivers and the other vehicles were trying to catch up to me to tell me to slow down. It took a police officer to do that. So all of a sudden the lights start flashing and I get pulled over. He says, you're going about 12, 15 miles over the speed limit, sir. I went, this thing can go that fast? With a trailer? He goes, yes, it can. And so I said, you know, uh, we were just at camp and these kids are loving on Jesus and uh, he said, not, I don't care. He says, I want your autograph right here on this ticket. So I signed that, and we ended up getting back to the church a little later than expected. Parents are waiting for us. And, you know, we just had a great week at camp. We went to a place called Box Canyon where kids could jump in these little pools, water. Um, they got to play in a creek. Some of the kids got to sleep up in tree houses. I mean, we had evening campfires. A lot of things they could tell their parents about. No. Do you know the first thing that came out of their mouths when we got back to the church? <laughs> you won't believe this. Pastor Derry got pulled over by a police officer, and they ticketed him. He's going to jail, you know. So now I have to tell the parents, uh, yeah, I, I, had, I had the busted speedometer. I was trying to do my best to get your kids here. They're here safe. They're, they're healthy. Nobody, nobody got hurt. You know, and parents forgave me for that. But I decided, you know what? I've got a pretty good argument. I'm going to fight this in court. So uh, I end up going to, to court. And on that day, when I get there and I, and I walk in this room, there's all these people waiting in the small claims court. And I'm waiting for my turn. All of a sudden, my argument doesn't sound so good. And so I come before the judge and I say, you know, we were up at a camp and you know, we had these donated vehicles and I had one that had a broken speedometer but I chose to drive that one to get the kids to camp. I really, sir, didn't know how fast I was going. And he uh, just had one question. Who permitted you to drive a vehicle full of kids to camp with a broken speedometer? And I said, uh, who do I write the check to? Uh uh, I, I've never gone back to court. I don't like court. But I'm going back one day. And I don't know if you've been to court, but you're going one day because the Bible says in many, many places that there is a day to come called the Great Judgment Day. And uh, a lot of Old Testament scriptures on it, a lot of New Testament scriptures on it. I want to spend today really focusing on it because as I really studied this, there, we could do a n- number of sermons I'm going to try to a lot into today because the Bible says so much and it says it to prepare us a lot of people want to study the end times because they want to speculate on what the, what the beast is and, and what the timeline is and how are all these things going to happen. And, you know, a lot of that is guesswork. Nobody, we're not going to know until it happens. But here's what we do know. Jesus is coming, and when he comes back again, there is a day called the judgment day. And we're all going to be there. So if you have a Bible, you might follow along uh, with us. It says in Revelation 22, 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. That's Jesus speaking. To repay everyone for what he has done. Three great biblical truths. I'm going to buzz through the first two, spend the majority of my time on the last one because it's the most important one that we prepare for that day. The first truth is this the judgment is unavoidable. It is coming. It is coming. It is certain that Jesus will come again. He'll come again, just as certain as he came the first time. And just as certain as he's going to come, he says when he comes, he will judge the people of the earth. The second coming will trigger a lot of events, but this is one of the most significant ones of all, the great judgment. Now, there's a mistaken belief among many Christians that if I accept Jesus, I'm exempt from that. I won't have to show up there because I got my ticket, get out of, get out of court free. No, no, it's get out of jail free, not get out of court free. There's a difference. We will all stand in the judgment. It says, everyone. Here's another scripture, Hebrews 4. And no creature in, is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, that, that verse is written in the book of Hebrews, which is written to believers in a church. It says, hey, I'm writing this to you. I'm not writing it to all those people out there. Of course they're gonna face judgment. We will too. No creature is going to have a chance to hide. Everything's going to be exposed. Of course, within the church, you've got people who are very devoted to Christ, people who don't, don't know Jesus as Savior, and you've got some people waffling in the middle, kind of walking the fence. Some people call them carnal Christians. They may have made a profession of faith. They're not living according to it, though. They're kind of walking that, that, that line between they're neither hot nor cold. But he says, each of us must give an account. Account for what? How you lived your life. Our life is a gift from God. God says, I gave you something that no other creature on this planet has. Uh, You have my image in you. I made you with unique capabilities that even animals don't possess, mountains don't possess, the flowers don't possess. I made you in my image. I have expectations of you and you're gonna give an account of this life that I've given you. They say there's two things that are inevitable, death and taxes. There's a third one, the judgment, judgment. And whether we die or Jesus comes to rapture us before then, we will still appear in the courtroom. I remember the first time I heard about this concept of the Judgment Day, because my, my old church, the little Methodist church I grew up in, never preached on this, so I really didn't know anything about it until I was walking in a college uh, library bathroom once. I was doing a research project, went in the restroom, and there was this little track, it's, a little, it's like a little comic book. It's by a guy, it's called Chick Tracks. Some of you may have heard of them, but he makes a lot of those. And this one, I think, was called, like, This Is Your Life. I remember flipping through this little comic book, and it was this uh, story of this guy who died, and when he went to the gates of heaven, there was this place he had to stop first. It was like a theater room, where he sat down next to a figure, and that figure, I I believe, was Jesus in this, it was a shadowy figure, and they sat on, on the screen, His life began to play out before his eyes. And as he began to see the things he had done, the words he'd spoken, the lies he'd told, uh, the secrets he'd kept, all the things on the big screen, he really started squirming a lot. He just felt very uncomfortable, very embarrassed. He was like, oh no, don't, no, don't, don't show that. And and all through this, he's feeling more and more humbled because he's given an account for his own life. And I began to think for the first time, like, could that be what it's going to be like? Does that, is that what it means to give an account for your life? Because if that's the way it's going to be, boy, that's going to be a real tough day. We need to take the judgment day seriously. But I would say this, you don't have to fear that day. Think about how you go through TSA at the airport. If you have nothing to hide, if you're not trying to get away with anything, you just walk through and, and you know, you do this thing and, and then they, they may pat you down, but I'm not worried. I have nothing to hide. Uh, now, if you have something to hide, you better be afraid. I shared with you last week, I've been watching this show called Airport Security uh, that's on the cable station and haven't watched it a whole lot this week, but I recall going to this airport in South America, and these agents are trying to stop drug traffickers who are very creative. And so they'll take sometimes very naive passengers and hide drugs on them or in their suitcases in different ways, and they're very sneaky about what they do. So you see someone get pulled off to a side room, and they're feeling like, eh, check my luggage. I have nothing to hide. So they start digging in the luggage, and, and, and the dog sniffs, and they don't find anything. But then they take out, like, there's a, a number of vests in there, which is kind of odd. So they take the vests out, they say, oh, let's cut them open. Ho, ho, they open it up and there's some bags of cocaine in the lining of the, of the vest. Or they find that this, uh, th- this stack of dominoes, they're not, they're not made out of wood, they're actually made out of compressed cocaine. And, and then they find that uh, when they take out their knives and start cutting into the actual suitcase lining... And how they pack drugs in the lining? You watch the person over there who's looking at it go like, "Oh, you know, they're they're sweating, they're getting nervous. They know I've been caught. Snap, I've had it." I think some people are going to be like that at Judgment Day. Thinking, "I think I pulled one over on Jesus." No, you haven't. You're not going to pull anything over on Jesus. And either we're going to enter that day feeling like I've got nothing to hide. All my flaws, He already knows. They've all been forgiven at the cross. Uh, I, I, I'm innocent, I'm, I, I'm pure because I'm covered with the righteousness of Christ. But the person who feels like, you know, I didn't need Jesus or my good works are enough or, or I, I pretended to be a Christian, that's the person who ought to be facing this day with a lot of fear. And if you cannot face that day or if you think about that day, don't have confidence that maybe there needs to be some correcting in your life today so that you do have that confidence Judgment is unavoidable, it's also indisputable, indisputable, I meaning you can't challenge it. God is always true, God is always right. Romans chapter 14 says, now this comes out of a time where Paul is writing to the, the believers who are picking on each other in the church. Like, I don't think those people should be eating that food. you know where they got that food? They got it at the market, which it was sacrificed to demons. They should be eating that food. And I don't like the way that person's doing that thing over there. And Paul says, really, you're gonna nitpick each other? You're gonna judge each other? You need to know this. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There it is again, each of us. He's writing to Christians. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Now, the two things that are gonna be indisputable on that day, number one, Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. For a believer, gonna be glorious. Like, oh, Jesus, oh my you're more beautiful than I expected. You are my Lord, you're my Savior. There's gonna be incredible joy. And for the unbeliever, it says, they'll mourn when they see him who they pierced. Oh, my goodness. It really is true. It really is true. Jesus really was who he says he was. It's like when Isaiah saw um, the Lord in the temple, this experience he had in the book of Isaiah, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. It's like, oh my goodness, he's so Great, and th- though it says we will all stand before the judgment seat, it also says we will kneel before him. So we're not gonna be standing there like this. At the ju- we're gonna be on our knees, acknowledging Jesus, you were right. Everything you said was true, and everything, every, everything you do is right. I'm the one who was wrong. You know, if you've read the book of Job, you know uh, Job is really making a strong defense for himself. Until chapter 38, when God says, brace yourself like a man. Let me talk to you about a few things. Where were you when I laid the foundations of this earth? Where were you when I put its pillars in place? Where were you when I created the beasts of the sea? Where were you when I created all these incredible animals that do very amazing things? Was it your idea? Did you help? Did you contribute, Job? Where were you? And you see Job kind of going like smaller and smaller. And he finally says, Job says, I need to cover my mouth. I spoke way too soon. I think it's going to be like that. We're going to shrink way down in the arguments we have to say, oh, God, I got a few things I needed to say to you. Forget about it right now. I don't think it's going to be that important. See, I think some of us think, and maybe not in this room, but I do believe there are people, particularly the atheists, who are going to say to God, like, I've got, a, I've got an argument. I've got a few bones to pick with God. In fact, if God says it, tells me at judgment day I need to go over there, I'm going to say, hey, wait a minute, God. You didn't give enough evidence. Science proves that we really didn't need you, so what's there to prove that you made all this? God, what about the people in those other foreign places that have never heard your gospel? Really, you're gonna send them to hell? That's not fair. What about all people that's suffering the evil in the world? Come on, if you're a good God, why don't you fix that? Why don't you fix that? You know, there's so many different religions in this world And I was supposed to find the one, and within that one, there's so many different denominations, and I'm supposed to find the right one. Come on, God. It's like finding a needle in the haystack. You expect me to get the right one out of all that? That's not fair. I tried church once, and I got burned. Churches are full of hypocrites, God. What chance did I have of being a Christian? And by the way, have you looked at other people? I'm a pretty decent human being. Compared to other people. I mean, all those arguments we're going to throw before Jesus are like going to evaporate. It's going to be, poof, they're gone. Because we're going to bow on our knees and say, You were right. You were right. I was responsible to make that decision to give my life to Jesus. We will recognize His Lordship. There's something else that's indisputable, and in that we are liable. We'll realize our own liability. Each of us will give an account. You know what, I don't know how you're gonna explain the things of your life. You know, I'm I have a hard time sometimes if God says, tell me why you tell me why you visited that website. Tell me why you posted that thing. Tell me what you were thinking when your boss said that. Explain why you were thinking like that. I mean, there's a lot of things in my life I like, I don't have a good answer. I feel like Lucy. Ever, remember that Lucy and Desi? And and Desi says, Lucy! You got some splaining to do. You know, it feels like we're going to be there and and you're going to hear someone say, you know, Darren, you got some splaining to do. (laughs) I don't have a good explanation. I really don't. We're going to be liable. But here's the biggest one. The judgment is irreversible. Because on that day, we will find out what's most true about us and what's most important to us. You may have been able to fake it through life, you may be able to put on a facade for other people, but it's like, that's all going to be stripped back, and we will see ourselves for who we really are. Sometimes we think, well, like, I think I'm a good person, and God says, really? He's, gonna, he's actually going to give us the best view of ourselves we've ever had, and He's going to show us by the way we lived our lives. You say I was important, but here's really what was important. Look how you spent your money. Look how you spent your time. Look what you talked about the most. This is what was most important to you. I mean, Jesus is gonna validate himself that his judgments are right and true. He's not mean. He's just revealing what's true about us. But here's the truth about that day. Not only are all the secrets made bare, but there's no second chances. You don't get to go back and fix it. You don't, you don't have to say, okay, oh Lord, I get it now. Finally, I wish someone had told me that earlier because now I can choose to do different and it will be like, no, no, it's over. You had, you had your whole life to do that. It's over now. The judgment day is irreversible. There's no purgatory, there's no check, second chances. Our legacy is permanent. That's why what I do in this life has a lasting impact on how I experience the next life. How, what I do in this life has a lasting impact on how I experience the next life. This life is like the probation period, it's like the testing ground. Like, like I, I need to show that I love living under the Lordship of Jesus. I mean, here, God loves you so much, He says, I'm not going to twist your arms and, and drag you into heaven. It's really going to be very simple. If you love living under my lordship here, you're going to love living under my lordship in heaven. And if you don't like my lordship here, if you resist it here, tell you what, you won't have to deal with it ever again. In where you're going, it's your choice. See, see, the judgment day is not a day where God's saying, "Hey, we're going to really start looking at your life then and figure out where you're going." No, it's already been decided. You've already decided. I've already decided. Jesus is just making it clear what we've decided. So, so do you love living a God-centered life where Jesus is the focus or not? Because heaven is focused on Jesus. That day will be a day of regret for the unbeliever. It says in Revelation 20, and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. This is actually a fulfillment of a prophecy from Daniel 7, where he said, I saw 10,000 times 10,000 standing before God, and the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. So these books, what are these books? The books, there's, there's these books that are open. And there's a lot of uh, guests that go, what exactly are these books? And one of the thoughts is, it's the book of your life. It's kind of like the log of everything you've done your whole life, it's... It's, you got it like a journal and you can just flip the page and say, on that day you did this and said this and it's all right there. could be that. But I think a better answer is this. The books are God's words here. The first five books of the Bible in particular are called the law of God, the Torah. And so when the books are opened, all God has to do is say, do you see what I expected of you? How did you do? It's right there. Have you ever heard this phrase that the, the judge threw the book at him? It's the book of the law. It's the, it's the full extent of the law. And so if we look at the law and go, oh, my goodness, that's not, that's, not what I, that's not how I live my life. See, that's justice. Fortunately for the believer, there's grace. That's why there's another book here. There's a specific book called the book of life. It's mentioned um, a few different times in the book of Revelation. It's actually mentioned a few other places. It's a beautiful book. It's a wonderful book. It's kind of like the reservation book. You showed up at a hotel and you walk up to the counter and you've got your printout from your Expedia account and you go, hey, got my reservation right here. They go, yes, Mr. Rondi, I can see. Got your room. It's 213. Here's your keys. Uh, You know, if our name's in the reservation book, we have full confidence where I'm going when I die. You know, I, I'm afraid there are many people who are going to feel like, surely God's going to work me in somehow. I, my, my, my name's not on there. I'm surprised that God didn't put it on there for me, but surely you've got space for me. You know, we get to decide now if that's where we want to go. And we, we make decisions. When you accept Jesus as Lord, the forgiveness that he gives, we, we follow him with our lives. This says, Your name is in that book. There's an old hymn called "Is My Name Written There?" Lord, I care not for riches, neither silver nor gold. I would, I would make sure of heaven. I would enter the fold in the book of Thy kingdom. With its pages so fair, tell me, Jesus, my Savior, is my name written there? See, I made a reservation a long time ago in a very bad place. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And when I sinned, I made a reservation for hell, and that stayed there. Till I was 16 years old, and I changed reservations. I found a much better place to spend my eternity, and that was with Jesus in heaven. And John 3:16 says, "God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not what perish, but have everlasting life." A couple of verses later, He says in John 3:18, "Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already." See, you're, you have your reservation, condemnation already. Because you've not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Then in John 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but is passed from death to life. The judgment will not hurt us if we've accepted Jesus as Savior. That's why in Revelation 21, you will find nothing there in heaven, but only those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. For the unbeliever, there's regret. For the believer, it's a day of reward. It's a day of reward. It says the nations rage, but your wrath has come, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding of your servants. For for those of us who are believers, it's not a day to decide whether you go to heaven or hell. That's already been decided. But it is it is a day to learn how you'll live forever. Not where you'll live forever, how you'll live forever. What I mean by that is the Bible talks about rewards based on our faithfulness. That, that God has given us expectations, given us uh, things to steward for him, given us opportunities to live for him, and then says, are you, are you gonna be faithful to me with what I've given to you? And we looked at parables a couple weeks ago, Parable of the Towns, which is one guy got five, one guy got two, one guy got one, and the master was looking for their faithfulness. And the Bible talks a lot about different degrees of rewards that come to those who live faithfully. Now, you may say, "Well, oh, pastor, you're not saying we get to heaven by our works. No, 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 not at all. But, but our works are a way for heaven to get into us. Our works show that heaven, while we live here, is getting into us. I'm living differently. I'm living a better life because Jesus is part of my life. This is, this is a judgment that's more like uh, the Olympic Games than a court of law. In Olympic Games, you have judges, right? They're, they're not deciding places to go they're deciding reward and so you got athletes who compete and and somebody's going to get the gold and somebody's going to get the silver some will get the bronze others won't get any those who compete well are rewarded that's why Paul says I buffet my body I used to I used to love the old version says I buffet my body I like that better but (laughs) I buffet my body I buff up my body, I beat it into shape, I discipline it. I focus, I run straight, I run fast, I run hard. Why? Because there's a there's only the winner gets the prize. I want to I want to live in such a way as to get the prize. And many of us are just kind of coast through the Christian life saying, "Hey, we're going to heaven." Woohoo! I'm on the cruise ship. Yeah, but there's different rooms on the cruise ship. Okay? Different places. Heaven will have different levels, different rewards depending on how we build our lives. First Corinthians chapter three, Paul says, I've laid a foundation and that foundation is Jesus Christ and you get to build on that foundation. Now, some people are gonna build with wood, hay, grass and at the end, that's all gonna burn up. But others are gonna build with precious stones and, and gold and silver and that's gonna survive the flames. And some people are gonna get in through the smoke, barely. And others are gonna get into heaven and go like, wow, that person built a life that lasts for eternity. You know, when we get to heaven, I think we'll all, we'll all be glad we're there. I mean, there's, a, there's just a joy of, I, at least I'm there. But some of us, who've if you've sacrificed, if you've given generous life, you've served hard, you've given your life to Jesus, you're gonna look back and go, man, I, all that was worth it because now I get to reap the rewards of it. Faithfulness is rewarded. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, so whether we are home or away, He's speaking of being here on earth or away, meaning in, dead and in heaven. He says, so whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Again, Paul's writing to who? Christians. He said, guys, we're all gonna appear there one day. So why don't you make it your aim to please him? What a, what a great goal. He says, since you're going to be judged by Jesus, make your aim to Please him. It's just kind of another version of WWJD, but, but, but saying it a little differently. It'd be like doing this. Man, before I, before I push send on that email, I need to ask myself, does that please Jesus? Would that please Jesus? Are the words that are gonna come out of my mouth, would they please Jesus? Is my response to that criticism gonna please Jesus? Is, is what I'm gonna do late at night on the TV or computer going to please Jesus? Is the way I'm parenting, the way I'm treating my spouse, uh, uh, something that pleases Jesus? That's, that's a great kind of bar to set, just to ask yourself, is what I'm doing, would it please Jesus? Now, I want to go through some areas of life, some specific areas that Scripture points out that, that God is going to examine about us. And to look at ourselves like, are we pleasing to the Lord in this area? And I go through this, I go through this, you know, I'm very convicted, personally, and I think you will be too. And conviction can go one of two ways. The devil can take conviction and then make you feel condemned. Like, I'm not worthy, I'm a loser, you know, and, and, and put us in a kind of a depression. But the Holy Spirit can also take the very same thing and conviction, but use it in a way that says, let's fix that. Let's get it now before it causes further trouble. Let's address this issue in your life because your life would be so much better if you, if you address that issue. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He doesn't want to take this and condemn us and shame us, uh, but he wants us to say, hey, that really isn't honoring to Christ. We could do better. We want to do better. So let me give you six areas. We'll we'll just kind of breeze through these really quickly. Number one, aim to please him in your thoughts. Jesus said, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? God says, you know those things that you thought were secret and hidden, even your motives? It'll all be public then. And we're pretty good at sometimes at filtering, like, like, how you doing? Great. But inside we're going, like, I, I hate your guts. <laughs> you know, that's what we're thinking. But outwardly, we want to be courteous, and that's good. You know, you don't want to always say what's on your heart. But what if, what if our heart was better? What if we actually had a good heart so that we didn't have to filter anything? because our heart was so good, that actually what came out of the heart was, was a blessing and was beautiful. We wouldn't have to think about it, really, because it's always be good. David prayed this. I love David's prayers. He was a man after God's own heart. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, you know, examine me. Put your spotlight on me. Show me what's wrong, and then guide me out of that place. I want to do better. Here's another area. Aim to please him in your speech. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Ooh, We had a funeral yesterday for Scott Price, and one of his army buddies said, I never heard that man ever cuss. What an oxymoron, a soldier who doesn't cuss. I mean, do you know many like that? Cussing can be so casual in our culture. It's like, hey, it's just, it's just the way we talk. We're tough, we're mean, we're, we're edgy. You know, I can use those, those words. And I'm not a squeaky clean person, you know. What's wrong with being clean and, and non-vulgar? Jesus wants us to watch what we say. He says, you're gonna be accountable for every careless word, every careless word. We don't wanna speak carelessly. The Lord wants us to use our, our words in a powerful way because words are Powerful. Jesus spoke the word and the world was created. He's gonna gonna defeat Satan with the word of his mouth. Words have life and death. Care about the words. Don't speak carelessly, speak carefully. Your words matter. David, again, here's another prayer of David. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Man, some of us ought to put that on the mirror, right? Here's another one, in your gazing. What do we mean by that? The, the things we look at with our eyes. Now, it's, it's more than looking. It's like this. You look at something, but then you linger with the look, and then you start to lust after it. And you can lust after sparkly things. You can lust after big, fast things. You, you, can, you can lust after bigger, better things. And you can lust after sexual things. Probably the biggest biggest one. We lust after sexual things. And see, love and lust are so different Love is giving, lust is taking. And in our culture, a guy may may be with a girl and say, man, I love you, when in reality what he's thinking is, I want something from you, babe. I don't care about your future, I care about right now. My hormones are screaming. You know, that's lust, that's not love. Love is giving. So how how do you fix that? How do you fix that? Uh, Job says that I've um, made a covenant with my eyes. But here's something, not just to tell your eyes no, but what if you had something better to look at? Well, here's what what Paul says to look at. We with all unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we're looking at Jesus. And by doing that, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You wanna be a better person? Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's one of the reasons why we worship. Why one of the reasons Wednesday's so important to come back here. I could be home watching TV and watch another Hulu, Netflix, whatever, or I could be here fixing my eyes on Jesus for an hour plus. And and when I do that, I become a better person. We aim to please Him in our actions. He says, You become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are polluted garments. Wow. Not all your bad deeds, all your righteous deeds. He says, They're filthy. You think they're good, they're not as good as you think they are. He says, you try, you try to be good and that somehow I'm going to accept you, but, but your good deeds don't impress me, God says. Good deeds will never get, in, get us into heaven, like I said. But, but God wants good deeds to be an expression of his life in us. There's this image in Scripture, and we see it in Revelation, we see it in other parts of the New Testament, that the church is called the bride of Christ. And the bride prepares herself for the day when she's going to get married to the groom, And so we prepare ourselves for that day. Men or women, we're we're the bride of Christ. We're preparing. You say no to certain things. You say no to unfaithfulness. You, You make yourself look as beautiful as you can for that day. He's doing the same for you. But in our case, our groom is Jesus. He's already been beautiful for us. He's already laid himself down for us. We already know his commitment to us. We're demonstrating our love and loyalty to him. It says in the book of Revelation, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's the church. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. We live in such a way that our deeds reflect that we are focused on Jesus. We are living our lives for him. Now, these last two are for specific groups. We need to aim to please them in our teaching. James says, hey, not many of you should presume to be teachers because you're gonna be judged with greater strictness. Teaching's a sacred responsibility. You gotta study to show yourself as someone approved, carefully handling the word of God, it says in 2 Timothy 2. Here's one other one. Aim to please them in your leadership. Those in positions of leadership in the church and in the culture have greater responsibility. Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Those of us in leadership roles, uh, pastors, elders, directors, coaches, managers, politicians, business owners, supervisors, commanders, sergeant majors, all of those in leadership roles will be held accountable. We will for how we led. That's why Jesus said, you know how the Gentile leaders lead and they lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them? It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Must be your servant. God wants us to be servants. Now, I could go into other areas, but those are areas that we all can look at. But the goal is to say, for this life, this period of time in my life, I'm preparing for the future. This window of time, it could be 30 years, could be 80 years, I don't know. I've got a window of time and I'm saying no to certain things and I'm not gonna watch that and I'm not gonna drink that and I'm not gonna say that. That's not who I'm going to be. i want to live for Jesus because if I live fully for him now, I'm gonna look back and be so glad when I live in the next life. Today's Super Bowl Sunday and teams who are preparing for Super Bowl actually go into stricter uh, requirements The coaches will say to million-dollar athletes, hey, you need to be in your hotel room by 10 o'clock. Who, me, the the multimillionaire? Yes, you. Because you need to be thinking about this game. Because where your head is and where your heart is is going to make all the difference in how you perform on Sunday. I mean, coaches are really strict. Players aren't allowed just to go and party at night. But there was a time in 2003 when the Oakland Raiders played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There was a, a center for the Oakland Raiders named Garrett Robbins. Now, this man was a pro bowler, which means he's, he's top of the game. He was an all-star. He, he played all 16 games that year. But two days before the Super Bowl, his wife dropped him off at the hotel right before curfew. He didn't go in the hotel. Caught a cab and went to Tijuana, Mexico, where he spent the night drinking. By the time he got, got a, caught a ta- taxi to get back to the hotel, he didn't even know where he was. And he didn't play in the Super Bowl. It so rattled his team, the Raiders got... Pounded, lost by 27 points on that Super Bowl Sunday. Yes, amen from the Tampa Bay fan right down here. (laughs) And you know that guy? He can always say, I made it to the Super Bowl. He's going to look back saying, Man, if I only would have focused a little more. It was such a short time to stay focused, I would have just focused. And he can't go back and change it. He never went back to another Super Bowl. He'll never have that opportunity again. And we have one life, just one life to live for the Lord. And some of us are screwing around and we're wasting time and, and we're not taking Jesus seriously. We don't read our Bibles. We don't pray. We don't serve. We don't give generously. We don't do those things. And I think one day you're going to look back and say, oh my goodness, I wish I would have. I wish I would have. Because eternity is so long and I'll reap the benefits of my sacrifices here forever we got to be focused and disciplined. Yes, we can't do the things everyone else is doing. Do you know why? Because everyone else isn't going where we're going. We want to live in a way that prepares us for Jesus. You know what Jesus did for you and me? He took on a body. He limited himself. He couldn't do all the things that God would normally do. He says, I'm going to do that for 33 years for all of you. That if you and your years would focus on me... Be like we're going to be married forever. Paired up in eternity forever. I think it's a pretty good deal, don't you? Because my sacrifices for him isn't going to take me to a cross. It just means, yeah, I'm going to give up pornography. I'm going to give up getting drunk. I'm going to give up sleeping around on my spouse. I'm going to give up cussing. I'm I'm okay with that. They're not bad things to give up, to be honest. Because I've got Jesus, the best thing of all. So here's what I want to do to close. I want this to be a time just of to reflect a little bit. And for you to go deep with the Lord, is He really Lord when you say Lord? Is He the King of my life? Am I living every moment for Him? Is my aim to please Him? And this is the moment for you to say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. This is a time of repentance. I'm so sorry. I don't want to be like that. I want to live for You. I want to start living differently today. Maybe that's where you are. If you're already doing that, praise God, you're going to say, I rejoice, Jesus. I look back on my life, and there's not a sacrifice I've made for you that I regret. Thank you. I can't wait till the day I get to be with you. Today's a day of just recommitment to the Lord, to live for Him and serve Him. And maybe for you, it's a time to get on your knees because you're gonna do that one day anyway and confess Him as Lord. Why not start today? So let's just take the next few moments just to humble ourselves before Jesus, and then I'm gonna come back here in a minute or so and close us in prayer.